If you have your Bible with you, could you please open your Bible to the book of Romans? We are going to go right into the book of Romans today. And, uh, you know, after Sam's testimony, you need to remember that everything you're about to hear (laughs) comes right from the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Sam, thank you. No, (laughs) just kidding. Um, Well, I hope that that would say that that's true. Um, But we're going to do everything that we can to correctly divide the word this morning and pray that the Holy Spirit does plant it in our hearts so that it grows great seed and great fruit. Amen. So we're going to be in Romans chapter three this morning. um, And uh, I just want to open in a word of prayer before we get started. So let's just bow our heads and pray this morning. Uh, Father, we come before you today and I want to say thank you for your love. I want to say thank you for your power. I want to say thank you uh, for being a savior to us when we were unworthy of that. Father, you have demonstrated your love for us time and time again. And I pray as we open the word today, we would be mindful not just of what these words say, but how they apply to our hearts. Uh, We love you and we thank you for everything you've given us. May what we learn today and what we read today not just change us for a moment, but may it transform our lives as we walk ahead and walk forward. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Romans chapter 3, we are in our Rooted series going through the book of Romans. Um, Yeah, let me just, uh, curious, how many of you over the last, we're in the seventh week now, so the last six weeks, how many of you have pulled something out of the study that we've been doing that either challenged you in your faith, um, just really encouraged you in some way, or just gave you a different perspective of something to think of? How many of you, and just, good. Yeah, I mean, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. And, and it's important for us to remember that because um, we need to have a foundation. Um, Andy Lipless, one of our elders, spoke last week uh, during um, Romans, uh, talking about Romans in the first, uh, the first eight verses of Romans chapter 3. And each week we have talked about the concept of being rooted and the concept of being grounded in our faith. Uh, we're going to continue that this morning in Romans chapter 3. And we're going to begin in chapter um, chapter three. I'm sorry, verses nine. Uh, but just as a quick recap, so that what you understand, the first number of chapters of Romans really focuses on the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel. And when I mean the power, I'm not just talking about um, you know we understand power sometimes through the lens of superheroes and DC comics and you know Marvel comics power you know they do all these these supernatural kinds of things which is part of the power of the gospel but sometimes for us to really understand the power of the gospel we need to know where we are without the gospel so Paul devotes a lot of time in the first through first few chapters of Romans to talk about the power of the gospel and how far away we really are without God. And that's super important for all of us to understand because until we really understand how far away we are from God without God's intervention, it's difficult for us to understand why it matters for us to have a relationship with Christ. You know, um, as a kid, and even as an adult many times, I mean, maybe you've heard this, but I know I've, I, I've heard this, uh, people would say, well, I'm a Christian, and say, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it means Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And if you believe that, then, you know, you can follow Jesus and one day you can be with him with eternity. And there's a lot of people that would hear that. And there have been times in my life, especially younger years, where I would hear that and say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. 
I don't care. Like, why, why do I care if he died on the cross for my sins? I don't think I needed someone to die on the cross for my sins. I'm a relatively good person. So why is that significant? And what Paul is trying to do, regardless if you're a Jewish person or you're a non-Jew, and during that time there were Jews and Gentiles, he's painting a picture and laying a foundation across the first few chapters showing us that all of us need to understand what it means to be separate from God and who we really are without God. And when he paints a clear picture of that, it really helps us understand just how far away we are from God so that when we see the power of the gospel and how God draws us to himself, it makes us more desire, it makes us more um, apt to follow him and our heart becomes more grateful towards him and who he is. So in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, we are going to talk about another concept as Paul continues this theme. And I think it's a concept that we understand really well during the season of life that we are in right now in our country. And it's the message of equality. It's the message of equality. It's the message about privilege. It doesn't take much for us to say if we've been looking... I'm sorry, this has been yanking on me. It's trying to get my attention. My apologies. Um, If we... Hang on. I don't like to do this, but I'm going to move it over. Microphones are lovely sometimes, aren't they? That's good. Okay, you be good. All right. Okay, we're we're good now. The message of equality, okay, the message of fairness and privilege. It's a message that we've been hearing a lot in our country, especially in the year 2020. It doesn't take much for us to take a step back and remind ourselves that we've been hearing a lot about privilege and that we may be the benefactors of privilege in this country. And your privilege may be directly related to your race, that maybe you have privilege because of your race, maybe your nationality, maybe the geography that you live in or that you come from. There are places in this country, and that's true just in the United States, that there's privilege depending on where you live. You know, you have access to certain things that you may not if you were in other places. I remember when we took our missions trip to Alaska a number of years ago, one of the trips we talked about, um, you couldn't get something as quickly there as you would get it here. And one of our missionary couples would tell us how they would shop once a month in Fairbanks and load up their vehicle with a a month's worth of groceries and then plan an entire month out at a time because they didn't have access to those types of things. Privilege is something that we can experience through geography. It can also be an economic thing. People are born into certain levels of wealth. They have an advantage over people that maybe don't have that type of wealth when they start. What I'm trying to talk about, basically, is the message that we're hearing is that we need to eliminate privilege. We need to eliminate advantages that people have over others, that we need to create an equal level playing field for every person so that we all have the same opportunities and we all come from the same place. It's a pretty common message that we're hearing right now. Would you agree? Well, this passage that Paul is talking about is all about making things equal. But it's not in the way that you may think, because we're not talking about a physical equal, we're talking about a spiritual equal. And it's not from a good perspective, it's from a negative perspective, where all of us start in the same place and all of us come from the same place. If you will, he's going to tell a story, if you will, and illustrate how all of us are in the same boat. But that boat is sinking. 
So it doesn't matter whether you came from a place of wealth or you came from a place of stature. If you're white or you're black or you're Asian, it doesn't matter what your background or your culture is. Everyone's in the same boat and the boat's going down. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Right? Amen. You don't hear a lot of amens when we talk about this kind of stuff. Right? But this is true. Okay? But there's a, there's a good thing at the end, I promise. So we're going to read through 9 through 20, and I'm going to pause throughout that and just explain a little bit of what's happening and how this really applies to us and why this is significant. So Paul is continuing to speak to Christians, but he's really speaking to the Jewish people here at this point. And he's talking to them a little bit more. He's proving their point or his point that every one of them is just as separate or to be judged by God as the non-Jewish people. And he continues in this, um, this teaching in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. And he says this. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have an advantage? He's talking to the Jewish people. The Jewish people. Do we have an advantage? Not at all. For we, have already made, made, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Now, we'll stop there just for a moment, and we're going to pause If you were reading this and you were a Jewish person, you would be offended. In fact, you would have already been offended in chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. You would have agreed with him in chapter 1 because back in chapter 1, Paul said, let me talk about the wrath of God and who the wrath of God is placed on. And it's all of these heathen, pagan people that exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He wasn't talking to Jewish people. All of those people are worthy of the judgment of God. And if you were a Jewish person reading that, you'd be like, yeah, they are. Those heathens, they're worthy of the judgment of God. And then in chapter 2, he says, ooh. But if you're a religious person, like some of you Jews are, and you follow some of the principles and the laws, and you think you're better because of that, you're not. You're also worthy of the judgment of God. And they're like, what? Now they get offended by that. And then he takes it a little bit further at the end of chapter 2, and he says, not not only that, but for you that teach it, that have the passion and the mission to teach the word of God, so much so you don't just teach it, but you are also sinful in not practicing what you preach. That's hypocrisy. None of you are qualified. You're also worthy of the judgment of God. Now they're really offended because the Jewish people believed that they were better than other people. They were considered God's chosen people. God visited them. God set up the nation of Israel. God gave the law to the Jewish people. I mean, that's a pretty awesome badge of honor. And what Paul is telling everyone to the Jews in this chapter, in in verse 9, he's saying, listen, everyone, Everyone has no advantage. As Jews, we have no advantage. We already made the charge, he said, that Jews and Gentiles are alike and under the power of sin. What is he saying here? In short, everyone deserves God's judgment. That's what he's saying. Everyone deserves God's judgment. So everyone, if you look at the actual language and what he's talking about and how it was written in the original Greek language, everyone actually means everyone. It's profound. It doesn't take people out or pick and choose. It actually says every single human being, mankind, deserves God's judgment. 
He's really telling them that life isn't about weighing good deeds versus bad deeds. You know, that's something that I've heard a lot growing up. And different people have different theories on spirituality. That if, you, if you're a good person, that maybe God will view you a little bit better than someone else. But if a really bad person, he's going to see in a very different light. And there's, he's going to weigh all of this. Paul's saying it has nothing to do with weighing good, good and bad deeds. This has everything to do with the fact that we are all under the control of sin and therefore we deserve the judgment of God. Now, I'm going to jump ahead to Romans 5, just to verse 12, and I want to read what Paul says later on. He says this, he goes, When Adam sinned, talking about Adam and Eve during the story of creation, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, he's not really talking about the physical death, though that was a consequence to sin. What he's really focusing on here is because Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And because sin enters the world, it spreads to every one of us. And all of us are now guilty of sin. We are born into sin. Every single one of us have sinned in some way. You can't remember probably how old you were the first time you sinned, but I can guarantee you, you sinned in some way. I've said this so many times over the years, but we don't need to teach young people or children how to be self-centered. We don't need to teach little kids how to take from other little kids, right? When they don't get their way, we don't have to teach them how to throw a temper tantrum, do we? I mean, I hope if you teach your children to do that, you should seek help because they just learned it all by themselves many times. We don't have to teach mankind to be self-centered, to be about ourselves, to look out for ourselves instead of others. We don't need to teach mankind any of those things because what, God, what Paul is saying in Scripture is that because sin entered the world, we are a product of sin. We are influenced by that, and we are born into a place where our, our long-term future is death. Our fate is to die spiritually because of sin. And every one of us, though we can try We can be on our best behavior. The fact of the matter is, when we came into this world, there was a stamp put on us that said, the wrath of God is on all of those who are born into this world because of the effects of sin. So, this is really important for us to understand. And I'll explain why in just a few moments. But if you were a Jewish person, man, you'd be upset. You'd say, what are you saying? Give me some proof. Why would you think that this applies to the Jews? Because the Jews are better than everybody else. And Paul basically continues his his, uh, letter in verse 10 by quoting their very scripture from the Old Testament. He goes back to the Old Testament beginning in verse 10, and this is what he says as a proof as he continues to build his case that the Jewish people are also part of the sinful condition. In verse 10 he says, As it is written, speaking of the Old Testament, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Those are taken from Psalm 14, 1 through 3, Psalm 53, 1 through 3, and Ecclesiastes 7, 10. He's quoting Old Testament scriptures and saying, your scriptures, our scriptures, teach us that none of us are righteous on our own. We've all turned away, and none of us do good on our own. Verse 13, look what he says then. Their throats are open graves. What an encouraging letter. 
Their throats are opening graves, are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And that comes from Psalm 5, 9, 14, chapter 140, verse 3, and Psalm 10, verse 7. And he's, he's making a connection here when he's starting to talk about this, that the things that you start to see that are happening on the outside are always an indication of what's happening on the inside. Jesus said it differently when he said it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Does that make sense? Some of you have heard that before. Whatever's going inside, going on inside of us at some point comes out of us. We might be able to bottle it or divert it or shape it, but ultimately the things that are going on inside of us ultimately will come outside of us at some point. And this is what he's speaking to. The poison of viper is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, he says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. All the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That comes from Isaiah 59 and Psalm 36. And then he turns a corner in verse 19 and he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. What he's saying there at the end of verse 19 through 20 is very simple. He's saying, first off, before that, all of us deserve the judgment of God. But then right here at the end, he's saying something else about the law, which is referring to the Ten Commandments and then the 613 laws that the Jewish people created after that. The law doesn't save anyone, he's saying. It reveals our need for a savior. You can't be saved by following the law. He's speaking to the Jewish people saying, if you think you're good because you're following the law, that doesn't make you good. All the law does is show you that you can't be good enough. That's what the law says to me. I can never be good enough by following the law. Why? Because I'm always going, at some point in my life, I'm going to cross the line. I'm going to break a commandment. I'm not going to follow the law. And if you break one, it's if you've broken them all, Scripture says. So the law isn't a salvation for us. It speaks to our need for a Savior by showing us what's true and what's false. How do we know if we're speeding in 2020? without speeding or speed limit laws. Think about that. There are places in our country that have no speed limits. No speed limits. How do we know that we're speeding if there are no speed limit laws? Have you ever been pulled over by a police officer? And they say, do you know how fast you were going? No, no, I don't have any idea. (laughs) Do you know what the speed limit is? No, no, I have no idea what it is. It's harder now with GPS because it puts it right on your GPS. And there are some GPS apps that actually go red when you're speeding. I mean, I don't like that. (laughs) Do you know what you did? Well, yeah, I kind of did. Isn't that interesting how we do that immediately when people get pulled over, though? I've heard that many times. I've been guilty of that at times. Do you know what the speed limit is? No, and sometimes I honestly don't know. Most of the time, I honestly don't know. But if there were no speed limits, we'd never get in trouble. Because if there's no law, there's no marker to tell us when we break a law. Without the law of God, we don't understand what the definition of sin actually is. 
This is why the law is so important. It shows us what matters to God, what holiness looks like, and how we are absolutely incapable of keeping it on our own. And that's where the great equalizer comes into play, you guys. Because whether you've been a Christian all of your life, whether you've been a Jew all of your life, whether you live in the other part of the world all of your life, whether you're wealthy or poor, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter. Any of those things have nothing to do with anything because if we violate the law, which all of us had, we are all subject to the judgment of God. And that's where we all come from the same place. How do we know we're speeding without speed limit laws? How do we know we're trespassing without property laws? All of these things are in place to teach us when we are going the wrong direction. I was thinking about this this week about the law because me growing up, I always felt, you know, the Ten Commandments, let's quote the Ten Commandments, let's follow the Ten Commandments. Jesus blows the Ten Commandments up uh, in the New Testament on the Sermon of the Mount when he takes things like, um, like, like hate and he says to people, it's, you know, if you, if you hate your brother in your heart, it's like you've already murdered him. And if you look lustfully upon another woman, it's like you've already committed adultery with her. And, and he takes these things that they, they very much clearly prescribed in the Old Testament as very specific things, and he blows them out to say, it is much more than just that one word, to the point where after he would preach, they would look at him and sure and say, it's impossible to follow this completely. And then he would say, and that's the point. The law doesn't teach you by following it, you're saved. The law proves and reinforces your need for a savior. What does this look like in 2020? Because we talk about the law, Jews and Gentiles. This is a silly illustration, but it, it worked for me. Um, a couple years ago, I went to get a suit. And, uh, you know, when you go to get a suit at one of these places, you know, what do they do? They, they, they give you a suit and they tell you, and try this one on. And it never fits right, right? I mean, it's not supposed to fit right, right off the shelf. They go, go try the suit on. So I've tried the suit on and, you know, you come out and, you know, your, your pant legs are like, you know, this long and you're kind of walking out all crazy and your jacket's a little big. And what do they do? They, they, they put you up on this platform and I'm surrounded by mirrors. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about at these fitting places? At which point they begin adjusting every part of the suit, the jackets, the cuffs, the pants, the hems, all of this. And two things happen. One, the more they make the adjustments, the better you start to look. That is absolutely true. But something else happens. The more they make the adjustments, the more I see my own imperfections. And I look in the one mirror and I go, whoa, I'm really losing my hair. (laughs) Or I look on the one side and I go, I do not like that profile on my face on that side. Or I didn't know that I had a scar there in the back of my head. Or I forgot about that. Or, oh my gosh, I really need to go do some more squats. You know, this may be what you're saying, maybe not me. I'm just saying, when you get in front of these mirrors and they're all around you, you hear what I'm saying? You look at them and you go, I see all the stuff about me that I don't like. And the law is kind of like that. We step in front of the law and the law reveals everything around us and points out the things that don't allow us to be in relationship with God. They're the imperfections. They're the flaws. They're the things that, and there are some things about me, I can't fix some of those things. You can't fix some of those things. I don't care. There's no technology that's ever fixing this. You know, I mean, you can glue stuff on there, but it is what it is. I don't know what's going on this morning. 
My point is that the law of God reveals to us just how far away we are from God. And every day of our life, we have to keep the law in our hearts, planted in our hearts as a reminder that on our own, we cannot be in relationship with God. So what do we do with that? What do we do with all of that? Two things I want to mention briefly this morning, and it's this. When we recognize just how far away we are from God because of our sin, it should impact us. There are probably other ways, but here are two ways that I think it should, recognize, it should impact us. Number one is seeing our own sin changes how we see the sin of others. I'll say it again. Seeing our own sin changes how we see the sins of others. You see, the consistent message we see throughout Scripture with regard to sin is that it's a personal thing first. Each of us is guilty of focusing on our own sin. I'm sorry, each of us is guilty, and focusing on our own sin first should come before we focus on anyone else's sin. So when we see our own sin, and we see how far we are from God, it changes the way we will see the sin of others. It changes the way we approach others with their sin. It doesn't mean we should, mean we should remain silent on sin. In fact, that's not the message of Scripture at all. We are supposed to confront sin, address sin, call sin out. But can I just say it this way? We can only be bold against sin or all sin as long as we're broken from our own sin. If I want to be bold against the sin of the world and the sin of those around me, I need to be broken because of my own sin. You hear what I'm saying? There is a message that people are hearing in this world. And for some reason, I hear it over and over again. Christians, Christians, Christians judge, Christians hypocrites, Christians. I'm so tired of hearing this constant message. And here, some of it is factual, okay, because people are good at pointing out other things without looking at themselves. But some of it has just been this message that's just like a snowball effect, that it just never goes away. Can I just tell you, there will always be Christians the point the finger at other people and not look at themselves the way they're supposed to be. It doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they're not understanding what the scripture says about it. There's always going to be hypocrisy in and outside of the church. That's not going to invalidate the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And it can't invalidate the truth of who Jesus Christ is because the gospel doesn't teach us. Live however you want. Condemn people around you. And you'll still go to heaven because of Jesus. That's not the gospel. The word of God teaches us that we can be bold against all sin as long as we are broken from our own sin. And we learn this over our lives through our own personal experiences. I was thinking about this this week, and I don't know why this this one example continues to come back in my mind, because I guess it was just traumatic for me as a little kid, but I remember being a teenager, and my dad, he traveled a lot when, um, when I was younger. He was a pilot, and he flew a lot, and um, I did a lot of the landscaping work in our house, and I cut the grass a lot, and um, I took care of the property when he was away. He'd come home, and he would do it, and I would do it while he was away. Well, there was this bag of fertilizer that we had in the shed. I think it was actually left there when we moved into the house. And there was one of these drop spreaders that you would pull in the back of a tractor. And I always thought it would be a good idea for me to fertilize the lawn. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how much to put down. I just saw a bag, and I saw the lawn, and I thought I would fertilize that. Um, I don't know if you know this, but if you put too much fertilizer down in the same place, it burns all the roots of your grass. Do you know that? If you don't, you all know that. Clearly, I didn't know that, but you all know that. You're like, yeah, I don't understand. 
Well, I wasn't sure how much was going down. So in this one area of our property, I just kept going over it and over it and over it. And I thought I was doing a great job. Well, three days later, I realized big problems were happening. And the whole side of our lawn was burnt brown to a crisp. I mean, you could, it was like little tumbleweeds. Like you could step on it and it was just brown everywhere. And I'm sharing this story because, well, one, it went burnt before my dad came home. And I remember my mom saying like, ooh, wait till your dad gets home. And I was like, <laughs> she wasn't upset about it. She was just like, well, wait till your dad gets home. Let's see what happens. And I was like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Here's what I remember. I remember it like it was yesterday. We went out to the front lawn, front lawn. And we looked at the whole thing, and I just said, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to go buy some grass seed, and I'm going to do whatever. And he looked at me, and he said, it'll grow back. That's all I remember him saying, it'll grow back. And I remember after that going like he doesn't care. He might have cared, but he just said, it'll grow back. And I looked at that and said, "My, my failure deserved a response more than it'll grow back. So I remember that for years. Fast forward to my own kids with my own yard. You know where this is going, right? There have been times over the years, and I'll give my son credit. I mean, he does stuff with the lawn that I've never seen possible when he was a kid making stuff and designs and all kinds of stuff. But there have been some things over the years that I look back and I'm like, oh, we shouldn't have done that with the lawn or why did that happen? And in my heart, there's a moment that I was like, man, I want to get really upset about that. And you know what I remember every single time? It'll grow back. And I'm stopped in my tracks in that moment when I think about that. And I wish I could say I always respond the right way, but I'm stopped in my tracks in that moment to remember that when I see my own failures, when I see my own sin, it changes the way I see the failures of others. You with me? See how this works? This is the gospel message. God doesn't tell us don't call out problems. He just says don't condemn others when you yourself should be condemned as well. Recognize your failures. Recognize your sinfulness, but approach people in a way. And this is hard. There are times that I look at my life and I say, I did this really, really well. And then there are other times that I just really really failed at it. And when we fail at it, two things happen. It hurts us, but it hurts others. And the beauty of the gospel is that God is a redeeming God. And he teaches us over and over again to continue to come back to him and to remember the depths of your sin is the thing that will lead you into a greater love relationship with Jesus. Jesus said this in a parable in Luke chapter 7 where there was a story of a a woman that sat at his feet and, and broke this jar of beautiful expensive oil and perfume and put it all over Jesus. And his disciples got really upset saying, we could have taken that and we could have sold that and given all the money to the poor. And she wasted all of this beautiful beautiful treasure on the ground and it's pouring all over the, the dirt and, the, and the, dirt, the, the ground. And Jesus said in Luke seven forty seven, he says, I tell you, her sins and they are many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. When we walk in a way that our desire is to grow in love for other people. You know what? I really believe we can talk about the love of God all we want. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And I really think that that's a true thing. But I understand the love of God better the more I understand how far away I am from him. Without his intervention, how hopeless my life would be. 
the more I understand my own depravity and the more I understand my failures, that brings me closer to him because God draws me even when I was not worthy of his love. He pulls me closer each day when I do something or say something or act in a way that, that is outside of God's will for my life or outside of his standard of righteousness. He continues to draw me back because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I don't need to get saved every single time. Scriptures say that when Jesus died on the cross, the penalty of sin was paid once and for all. As sin entered the world through one man, sin was conquered through one. And Jesus paid for it all, past, present, and future. So let's see our sin. And when we see our own failures, it will change how we approach others. What better opportunity for us to practice that than right now in our culture, in our country? And can I tell you, some of you will hear this. Some of you will walk out of this building or turn that TV or computer off and you'll get on social media and you'll berate people anyway. I know. I read your posts. (laughs) They're there. I see this stuff. People are angry. People are insulting. It doesn't take long for people to just be rude and disrespectful to other people. And maybe people are being rude and disrespectful to you. But what if instead of looking at the outward evidence of what they're doing, we stop for a moment and we say, wait a minute. What if they're coming from a place of woundedness or fear or hurt or betrayal? You see, one thing I know for sure, we talk about this especially when it comes to marriage counseling. I think I've told you this before, but I've never had a couple come in for marriage counseling and say, you know, we just really, really want to learn how to die to each other. Can you help us? Why are you coming here? Just go do it. No, they usually come in, well, there's a problem. Well, he said this, or she said this, or this isn't working, and that's not working. And it's usually about what the other person's not doing. But many times I'll have the same conversation, and I'll say, listen, what you're asking that person to do is not a bad thing, but you're really angry at them. Let's turn the corner on this and say, if you really want them to accomplish this one thing, what if instead of being angry at them right now, we change the location? Instead of sitting in an office, we're sitting in a hospital room. We're sitting in an ICU, and they're in a bed, and they're wounded, and they're on life support. And they still haven't done what you asked them to do, or they still hurt you in some way. Are you angry at them in that moment? Are you going to berate them in that moment? Are you going to point a finger at them? And usually people say, well, it might still hurt me, but I'm I'm not going to be really angry and berate them. Well, why? Because they're wounded. Because they're hurt. And that's exactly the point. People will offend us and hurt us and do that, and many times it comes from a place of personal woundedness. And when Jesus teaches us through this word and the Apostle Paul how to love others, he says the key of doing that is by seeing others by seeing our sin. Second thing that happens when we look at the great equalizer of sin, and I think this is really personal, is this. Seeing God's response to our sin should change how we see ourselves. Seeing God's response to our sin should change how we see ourselves. For some people, not seeing their sin isn't an issue. For some people, they see their sin all too much. They see their failures all too much. In fact, they walk around life with a burden that says that they're condemned, that they're a failure, that they're not worthy, that God could never love them. They walk around with this mindset saying they are less than. And if I could only be 
as good as that person. Or if I could only change the past and be as strong as this person. Or if I could only serve in a ministry capacity and God would speak and I could do this. Then maybe, maybe God would accept me more. And people walk around with a burden on their hearts sometimes or on their shoulders saying that they cannot because they're not good enough. That they could never be as spiritual. And all of these things are rooted in our identity. And all of these things need to change because when we see God's response to our sin, it should change how we see ourselves. And what does God say about our sin? Well, John says in 1 John 3, 1, he says, How great is the Father's love lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, though we may feel unforgivable, Jesus forgives us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, though we may feel hopeless, there is a hope that Peter says is a living hope through the power of Jesus Christ. When we feel broken, there is a healing that's made available to us through Jesus Christ. Why? Because as Paul says in Romans 5, and listen, this is great. This is so great. He says, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we get ready to close today and the worship team is going to come, let me just ask you to reflect on this for a few moments. In the big picture, the great equalizer that I'm talking about, which is the equalizer of sin. How do you view your own sin? How do you see yourself in light of your own sin? Do you see the imperfections, the failures? Do you see the offenses that maybe you have done towards God and towards others? Do you see that? Does it influence the way you approach and see the sin of others? For some of us, that is maybe all we necessarily need to talk about right now. That may be all we need to talk about. Wow, I, I'm not really good at seeing my own sin, Paul. I, I'm good at seeing the offenses of other people and pointing them out, but I need to do a better job at seeing how I've offended God. And there's a humility that comes, a brokenness that comes as we see our own offenses saying, wow, when I was worthy of punishment, when I was worthy of discipline, God looked at me and said, it'll grow back. So how do we respond to others with the love of Christ? We do it by recognizing our own shortcomings. Or maybe it's you this morning in the second part and you're saying, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the message that I've, the things I've said. You don't know the hurt and the pain I've caused other people. God could never forgive me for these. God would never love me past these things. You don't know the struggles that I continue to have. How could a loving God actually love me where I am? And I can tell you the word of God shows us that you're no different than any other person that, you're, that you know. There aren't better people and worse people. There's sinful people in this world that desperately need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So, though your sin may weigh you down, 
be encouraged because the message of hope for those you see around you is the same message of hope he has for you today. That you are good enough. You are able. You are worth it. You are valuable. God will take all of those broken pieces and all of that hurt and pain. He'll take all of that stuff that you wrestle with. And the scripture says he separates your sin from him as far as the east is from the west. We may walk with the consequences of some of our sinful behavior and decisions, but we should never walk in condemnation because Jesus doesn't condemn us. He convicts and he draws with a heart of grace. That's the power of Christ. And that's the name of Jesus, the one who heals, the one who saves, the one that forgives, and the one who redeems. Amen? I want to encourage you. We're going to stand, and the team is going to sing a little bit of this song. Would you take a few moments as they sing and just reflect on the redeeming power of Christ? We can call on the name of the Savior, and he forgives, heals, and saves.